Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. You said you died on the cross, you rose from the grave. I believe it. There are times, though, in my walk with Jesus where I struggle with doubt. And I thank God for the Gospels, for the realness of the Word of God, that He does not shy away from that. He has included some of these stories so that we can identify with people who were there. Because sometimes the Bible gets portrayed as like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to have it all together. And you can never struggle with doubt. You can never question anything. That's not true. That's not real. Even when you believe in something fully, it doesn't mean that you never have questions or never doubt it. Today, Pastor James reminds us that the Bible is full of people who followed Jesus and consistently had doubts. Real people have doubts. The gospel is such a beautiful message, not only because it's true, but because it's relatable. When something seems too good to be true, it's hard to trust it. That's why it's so refreshing to read about apostles who struggled with the same things that we struggle with today. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 24. As Pastor James begins his message, He is risen and He is near. There's this really fun story, I'll, I'll phrase it like that, from the Gospel of Luke in, in chapter 24. We're going to cover the resurrection, but there's just a really cool little side story that I think speaks, it speaks to my heart, and I, and I hope and I pray it speaks to yours as well, okay? So chapter 24, verse 1, this is what it says. We're going to go through these, uh, this part pretty quickly, but this is why you're here. It says, Early on, very early on, this is New Living Translation, Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, okay? So they are going to, Jesus died on the cross, hope you know this, spoiler alert, he rose, he rose from the grave three days later, he died on the cross, and they buried him, and so it was part of their practice to go back in and wrap the body, you know, with the spices and all that good stuff, okay? Why are they doing that? He told them he's not going to be there, but, you know, hey, they're just like me, okay? They show up, they got the spices, they go to the tomb, they're all ready and just prepared to go. Verse 2, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. This stone, just so you know, um, weighs about as much as a small car, okay? So good luck, any one person trying to roll that dude out of the way, okay? It's going to take several hands, not even counting. This story doesn't go into it, but other gospels go into the fact that there are Roman guards positioned at the tomb, okay? So you got to make it through them. And if you do make it through those guys, trained killers, then you have to somehow roll that stone out of the way to get the body, okay? I'm going to tell you right now, 11 disciples, these 11 disciples who basically bailed on Jesus two nights before, were not going to show up and do this. They weren't going to have the courage to try to overthrow Roman soldiers and move a stone. Those guys had already proved they bailed on Jesus. They bailed on him. He got arrested in the garden. They all, everybody left. Everybody left Jesus. Everybody left Jesus. So the ladies show up, and the stone has been rolled away. Well, we know from other gospel accounts that there was an earthquake, and it's a supernatural event that the stone was rolled away. The stone was never rolled away so that Jesus could get out of the tomb. The stone was simply rolled away so that you could peek inside of it and see that he's gone. That's why the stone moved. 
okay? Jesus didn't need an angel to break him out of the grave, so to speak. So it's gone. They stood there, verse 4, or they couldn't find his body, verse 3. So they went in. They couldn't find his body. They couldn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling ropes. These are angels. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. The men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? Why are you in the cemetery looking for life? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, he was, and be crucified, he was, and that he would rise again on the third day. He did. The angels are just reminding them of what was already said. It says, verse 8, then they remembered that he had said this. He actually said it oftentimes to them. Verse 9, they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it, (laughs) right? Just so you understand chronologically, because you could read other gospel accounts and you're like, but wait, didn't Mary Magdalene go there first? Technically, Mary Magdalene went to the grave first when it was still dark, Okay, she found the stone was rolled away. She ran back to go find Peter. The other women showed up at sunrise. That's why you have like sunrise services. That group of ladies, they ran back. They all eventually converge on the empty tomb, so to speak, come together. This is what Luke is saying. They're there. They go back to tell all the the 12, the disciples, or the 11, I should say. And nobody believes them. Nobody believes them. I do find it fascinating that from all the gospel accounts, whether it's Mary Magdalene or the other ladies and then all of them together, that angels keep showing up to these ladies. Now, John and Peter ran to the tomb as well, and Peter ran into the, into the tomb and saw that it was empty. All that was left were their grave clothes. And then even Jesus shows up and he speaks to the, to the ladies. He, he, he speaks up to Mary Magdalene when she was by herself and she thought he was the gardener. She's like, hey, can you tell me where they took his body? And Jesus just says, Mary. And she recognized immediately, she says, Rabbi, right? So it's just a cool story how the Lord is like, he's got these angels, he's ministering to these ladies, and these ladies were the first ones to witness the fact that the tomb was empty. And then John and Peter, they rush there. But the point of this and what we're really going to spend time in is the next part is it happened, but people still had difficulty believing it happened. Have you ever wrestled with doubt? Yeah, yeah, a lot of times, a lot of times. Have you ever wrestled with doubt even concerning this story? Yeah, I have. 20 years walking with Jesus, and there's still times in my life where I wrestle with doubt. Now, hear me out. I believe wholeheartedly, and no issue at all, from day one, you said you died on the cross, you rose from the grave. I believe it. There are times, though, in my walk with Jesus where I struggle with doubt. I wrestle with that. And I thank God for the gospels, for the realness of the word of God, that he does not shy away from that. He has included some of these stories so that we can identify with people who were there. Because sometimes the Bible gets portrayed as like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to have it all together. And you can never struggle with doubt. You can never question anything. That's not true. That's not real. That's not real. And when we actually take time to look through some of these stories, man, I I identify with so many of these people because I'm like, I'm there, man. I've been there. I've been there. Some days it's like, 
good. I'm like, I'm solid. It's totally solid. Then there's other days where it's like, man, Lord, I just don't know. I just don't know. I like that the disciples are like, these ladies are crazy, right? Like, what are you talking about? They all were told that he was going to rise again. They, they all were told this. But it says in verse 11, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look, stooping or peeking in. He, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Okay? So you got Peter, and, and in John's gospel, he says that he and Peter raced to the tomb, and John beat Peter. Okay? He lets you know that. He's like, I got there first, though. But he stopped at the entrance, and Peter rushed right in. But even with seeing the grave clothes, and technically, that's not, they weren't like blasted off or anything. They were folded up. You know, I mean, it's almost like the, body, like the body came through the grave clothes. Like they weren't messed with at all, except for the face covering was like folded up, indicating that Jesus just, he rose from the grave, folded up his little face cloth, and was out of there. Nobody stole the body. You couldn't have done that. You couldn't have reconstructed how, even how the linen cloths would have been. You couldn't have reconstructed that. So nobody could have came in and stole his body. It's just, it's so impossible. The only explanation is he rose from the grave. Here's where we're going to focus in on. It's the walk to Emmaus. This is the cool story, right? The whole story is cool, but I love this story so much. Because the word's going around. He rose. His body's gone. Even the Roman centurions, the guys who were guarding, have now gone to the Jewish leaders and saying, like, look, we don't know what happened, but his body's not there anymore. And then the Jewish leaders were like, well, here's some money. And tell them, tell everybody, spread the rumor that they stole his body from you. And don't worry about your boss, because technically they should all die because of that. But the religious leaders were like, don't worry, we'll talk to your boss you're okay. Here's some money. Go spread this rumor. That's all circulating. And here are two disciples, verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, or 60 stadia. Your, your Bible may say that's technically about seven miles away. So as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And it wasn't just like a casual talk. This is like a debate kind of a thing right? They're, they're very passionate in trying to figure out, like, what in the world has happened? And, and let me remind you just of what Friday would have felt like as this one guy that you've been following for three, three and a half years of your life. I mean, you have invested everything into this one person. People keep saying he's the Messiah, and he's doing everything that the Old Testament said the Messiah would do. People who once were blind can now see. The deaf can now hear. The mute can speak. The lame can walk. He has done it all. And so for three to three and a half years, they have followed this guy. And then on that Friday, he died. He's dead. The dreams, the hopes, all came crashing down. Now we can sit here 2,000 years after the cross or so, and look back at that and think like, oh, that's so silly. Put yourself in that story, though. Had I been there, would my hopes have been dashed? Yes, they would have. Yes, they would have. Just like all these disciples. Had I seen Jesus hanging on that cross, would I have lost all hope? Yes, I would have. I can 
tell you 100%, I would have. I would have walked away with my head low, completely heartbroken, and carrying with me the thought of like, well, what's next? Where do I go from here? I mean, it's three and a half years I've been following this guy, and he's, he's got to be the one. But the one's not supposed to die. Technically, he was. The Old Testament was very clear on that. So as these two disciples are walking to Emmaus, the other little cool insight about this, we, we get the name of one of the disciples, but the other one is left unnamed. And here's what I always encourage people to do. When one of the individuals is left unnamed, put yourself in their shoes. They're left unnamed for a reason, maybe so that you can be that person. So take this little six, seven mile you know, walk from outside of Jerusalem to the road of Emmaus with Cleopas. That's the other guy. And you're talking about like, what just happened? I mean, he was here. He was just here. And, and then they took him and man, they, they brutalized this guy. Like, unlike anybody else ever, they reveled in the fact of the brutality that they were able to administer to one human being. And that's not even just the Romans. That was the Jewish leaders as well, pulling out his beard. I don't know if you know that, but that's like a sign of great disrespect in the Hebrew culture. I mean, the man and with his beard, it's like symbolic of like pride. And for somebody to come and rip out chunks of your beard from your face, that is ultimate disrespect. And they did it while they were mocking him and laughing about it and slapping him and spitting on him. And these two disciples are walking to Emmaus and they're like, man, what, what is going on? Where's his body is maybe what they're thinking. Where's his body? Who took him? Where'd he go? And as they're walking to Emmaus on the seven-mile little journey, they're walking and talking, verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So here are two guys walking to Emmaus, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a third guy. And they don't recognize that it's Jesus. Just like Mary Magdalene didn't recognize that it was Jesus talking to her. She thought he was a gardener. Why didn't he allow them to recognize him? I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe so he could teach them a lesson. Maybe so he could walk them through the entire Old Testament to show that, no, Jesus was really the guy. Because had he revealed himself to them, I don't think he could have said anything to them. Right? Because they would have been like the women who he revealed himself to, and they were clinging to him. And he says, you can't cling to me. You can't cling to me. So maybe he keeps it a mystery for these two disciples so that he can walk them through the word of God and show that, yes, I am who you hoped for. I just think it's funny. You're walking, and there you are with Cleopas, if that's how you say that dude's name. I don't, I'm not really sure, but it sounds right. You're walking, and all of a sudden, there's this third guy with you. And the third guy is totally clueless to your pain, or so you think. Totally clueless to your doubts, or so you think. This is what he asked in verse 17. What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? I mean, you guys seem pretty passionate about something. What are you talking about? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces, this is why I like the New Living Translation. It's very poetic in one sense, and it paints a beautiful picture. They stopped short. They, they stopped in their tracks, in their faces. You could see it. They were carrying it on their face. 
the sadness. Then one of them, Cleopas, that's where we see his name, replied, you must be the only person, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. He's like, are, are you kidding me? What, what are we talking about? Where have you been? What do you mean, what are we talking about? Jesus knew exactly what they were talking about. The point wasn't for Jesus to have an understanding of what they were talking about. The point was for Jesus to position them into a place where he could minister to them, okay? So sometimes in our lives, things are going on that we may not like or agree with or even understand, and we feel as though, man, Lord, where are you at? Have you ever had those days? Have you had those weeks? Yeah, this last week. That's been kind of like one of those weeks. I don't know about you guys, but I told you about the spiritual warfare stuff. Yeah, it's real, okay? If you've never felt it, like, it's real. Just get into ministry, and then you'll realize just how crazy it can get. Or you're watching family members suffer and walk through horrible stories, and you can't do anything for them. And you're like, Jesus, where are you at? I think oftentimes he's walking right next to us. He's walking right beside us. And we just don't recognize him. We just don't see him yet. 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 He's walking next to him. And they just literally stop in their tracks and they're like, dude, where have you been? How are you asking us this question? And then Jesus even goes on to say, verse 19, what things? What are you talking about? I love it. It's so, if you don't think that God has a sense of humor, I mean, come on, look at this story. Like, he's like, it's Jesus walking next to him. He's like, what are you guys talking about? They're like, are you kidding me? All the stuff, he's like, what stuff? What are you talking about? These are two guys that I want to hang out with in heaven for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, tell me about that moment, like, when it dawned on you that, you, like, it'll come later, but, like, what did that feel like? They would feel like, they would say, like, man, I feel like an idiot. You know, like, here I am, and we're, like, calling out Jesus because he doesn't have a clue what's going on, and we, but we didn't know it was him. He knew the whole time. They go on to say, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and our religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. They betrayed him is what that means. They crucified him. Verse 21, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. What I would want you to note is all the past tense that is emphasized within that statement. He was a prophet. He was a mighty teacher. He was our hope. You see how like finite they're proclaiming within the statement. Now you can understand the gravity or, you know, the sadness that they are carrying on their, on their faces, so to speak. He was what we had hoped for, but now no more. It's kind of the feeling. Man, we went all in on this guy they probably feel like they lost. He still is powerful. He still is a prophet doing powerful things. Prophet, priest, and king, right? That's who Jesus is. He still is the hope. But I just love it. I mean, they just, they open up their hearts to this stranger and they're like, you want to know what's going on? Here's what's going on. Blah. And they just vomit all over this guy. We lost all our hope. We were following this guy. And we lost all our hope. 
all our hope. They go on to say, then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Right? So they're like, look, dude, here's what's going on. Man, our hopes have been dashed, but there's this report, and we're really confused about all this because the ladies are saying his body's gone. The angels told him he's alive, and then we checked it out, and it all checks out. His body's not there. Note that they don't say, like, but he's alive, and we just can't find him. They say his body's just gone. And then Jesus calls them out, as only he can, and maybe as only he should. Verse 25, he says to them, you foolish people. Another way to translate that, I think the message Bible says, you thick-headed people, (laughs) is what he says. He's like, oh, come on, guys. So here's this stranger now like almost like rebuking them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses. That's the first five books. He went through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, my goodness, this is like a, a seven mile, you know, little journey from Jerusalem to Ephesus. If you're walking on, you know, the average speed of like, you know, three miles per hour, I mean, this is basically like a two, maybe two and a half hour Bible study with Jesus, and he goes through the entire Bible. But to them, this is just some stranger. This is just some stranger, but the whole time he's sharing and he's walking them through the Word of God from Genesis all the way through Malachi. That's the Old Testament from Genesis all the way through Malachi. He's saying, okay, you see, remember in this, remember in Genesis in chapter three where it talked, you know, the snake and the sin in the garden and all that. He's like, yeah, it started there, okay, and then it technically can go back even before that, but that's the moment. And then he walks him through all the stories and, and remember that story and remember the, remember the story in the wilderness where, where Moses raised up the, the bronze thing with the serpent and people had to look onto that in order to be saved. He's like, yeah, that was talking about Jesus too. And he's just walking through all these stories. And he's like, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, 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 all through the Old Testament. Had to happen this way. It had to happen this way. And so he's schooling them for probably about two hours through the entire word of God. I, I don't know how he, he's Jesus. Like, I'm thinking, like, it takes me forever just to teach you one chapter, right? I know. And you're like, yeah, amen to that. Um, I get it. It's fine. And he walks them through it, and the whole time he's speaking to them, something's happening inside of them that they can't pinpoint. But they know, at least they have some sort of an idea of like, dude, I don't know who you are, but there's something special about you. And so they go on. Verse 28, by this time they were nearing Emmaus. In the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going to go on, right? They're like, okay, well, we got to go here. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to keep going. And they're like, no, 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 come with us. Come with us. The smartest thing you could ever do is to invite Jesus into your home. Well, let's say it this way. The smartest thing you could ever do is invite Jesus into your heart.
We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from God's Word on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James has been teaching through a series called The Road to Redemption. As you learn about the journey and progression that led Jesus to the cross, you come to humbly appreciate what Jesus was willing to step into for you. Why on earth would he agree to such a torturous path that would ultimately lead to his imminent death? Well, if the story only ended on the cross, it would be no story. It'd just be history. But the story carries on because Jesus' death meant life for all. His sacrificial death took the sins of all that no one else could bear. But because Jesus is God, he didn't just stay dead with your sins. He conquered death, proving that he's stronger than death, which makes you free from the debt of sin. That's such a relief, isn't it? Are you familiar with this narrative, or is this all new information for you today? Well, if you have questions, would you get in touch with us? Go to breadforthebroken.com and fill out the form under the contact tab. We'd be happy to follow up with you on what you heard in today's message. If you'd like to explore more teachings from this series or other books of the Bible, you can also do this at our website, breadforthebroken.com. With that, our time with... With that, our time with you has come to an end today, but join us again next time as Pastor James shares more in this series called Road to Redemption. Jesus didn't come to redeem just a select few. He came to save you too. So be encouraged and inspired by what you hear on Bread for the Broken.